Are you at your point where you think you've hit your bottom or maybe that there's just no way you're ever going to feel like things can change? I was like that. I really was. And I want you to know, my name is Bromo, by the way. I want you to know that there is a way out. Please join us for my podcasts. For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile and the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time, there's Granger. Offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. Hey, it's Promo here. There is a way out. This is my second one of the day. It is still the... <laughs> the 26th of January, we've got a little sunshine out here in Bismarck. I am trying to get my story done, and I'm getting there, and I'm also trying not to apologize for taking so long. Uh, you know, I am an alcoholic. My sobriety date is 2-17-09. I'm not a doctor. I don't have any uh, certified, uh, anything certified that says that I'm an expert in this. I just have life experience. And the reason why I um, sometimes take a long time is because there's certain things that I'm trying to remember and that I was able to tell probably a more of an accurate job in my first time go around. I had 30 podcasts before, like I said, about five years ago with the same title, but it was a different company, so I could not bring those, tit- those uh, podcasts back. So here I am. You've heard me say that before. I left you last episode as saying that I went from Freedom Riders, a recovery home in Campo, to uh, a place called Pathfinders, which was in Golden Hills in San Diego, kind of downtownish. Definitely a lot more going on at Pathfinders. I believe we had a little bit more guys living there than we had at Freedom Ranch. Freedom Ranch had about 40 guys. Pathfinders maybe had maybe more like 50. Again, these were sober homes. Sober living recovery homes, not sober homes, recovery homes that were programs that have been around the city and still are helping many um, men saving their lives for years and years and years. I don't even I don't even have any accurate dates when Freedom Riders started. They still are around Freedom Riders. How about Freedom Ranch? Good grief. (laughs) Freedom Freedom Riders is a motorcycle club out here, by the way. Freedom Ranch. If I have had said Freedom Riders before, I apologize. Freedom Ranch is the place. Pathfinders is also the place that's been around four years as well, saving lives, like I said. I left you the last episode where I was given some, uh, at uh, Pathfinders, we had many times where we had um, times to ourselves, and we were allowed, of course, to leave the home. And um, some people actually had a car, so they would be able to travel wherever and some people took the bus and we were given that luxury to wander off if you will but you better you know you got to be back at certain times of course for meetings or for dinner or whatever um that was a saturday coming up where i told you about the sky show which was a fireworks show synchronized to classic rock from our old radio station it was the the biggest event of the year and since i'm now in pathfinder's recovery home i was uh, this was a rough day for me because again, again, I woke up in this strange environment where I kept thinking to myself, you know, I know I'm going to get better. 
there's got to be some way I can get back to my old lifestyle, which was in Mission Beach, which was um, drinking and living and having a good time and, you know, no worries. But obviously, alcohol was going to kill me if I kept up at that rate, which is what left me at Pathfinders with no job. Um, remember, I had been laid off with along with uh, like 2,000 other people back in 2008. But I had that letter to clear me to come back to work and probably saved me from coming back to work and having so many people disappointed in me for having relapsed so many times within a year process. So I go to this park, and I had kept telling myself on my way to the park with my Walkman, I can go under a tree with shade and listen to the all the fun, all the action that the this Sky Show had where they had a live show at the stadium. My old show that I was on would be broadcasting from there, all the fun and stuff. And I could go under this tree. Nobody would see me. And I could, you know, drink just a couple of vodka martinis in those club cans. Maybe take a nap. Maybe hang out there a little longer than come back and have dinner. Nobody would even know. And that clearly was something that went through my mind for about a day and a half. And then that Saturday rolled around, and did I do it? Thankfully, I did not. Something told me, dude, you don't have any more chances. And do you really think you can drink like like you keep thinking that you hear about all the time? Do you really think you can drink like a gentleman? The answer to that is probably not. Why test it when you have nowhere else to go if you fail? So thankfully, I did not. But that was the closest test that I had in my first, geez, first year of sobriety. It's in this time, by the way, that my mom is getting sicker and sicker and sicker. She had a really rare bug in her, which affected her like dementia. And she was losing her mind and she was losing her functions. The times that she came out to see me when I was at Scripps McDonald Center, she could barely walk. I... I, of course, in my own pity party, wasn't there for her towards her last year. I wasn't there for her at all. I didn't take the time to go over and and hold her hand and talk to her. I could have, and I should have. And I let the disease... I let the disease mask any kind of. My mom was literally dying the last year and a half of her life, and I I did nothing. And I knew that she was getting worse and worse and worse with reports from my sister who would come down and be with her. And so I remember in the first house in my first first uh, four or five months at uh, Pathfinders, I remember I was walking across the street somewhere and I was told that I had a phone call and went over and got the news that my mom had passed away. And 
And I went over and I hugged the assistant manager who came over who actually had known about the news. My manager and my assistant manager both got together with me and they went into the office and they actually had arranged for me to have my sister come out, pick me up, take me back to my mom's condo where her body was laying. And uh, they gave me the the heads up. They gave me the okay that I could spend the night there, which I did. Uh, I, I, I don't remember if I knew of the dangers of doing that. I clearly... I clearly wanted to be there and be be around uh, the people that were coming over to tell us of their sorrows and the, and how sorry they were. And people, of course, were bringing things over like alcohol. It's a, a weird thing when someone passes away, when some people come over and there's alcohol laid out and people use it to drink and maybe that breaks down their their sorrows and they're able to communicate with with the with the members that who are grieving i don't know but there was plenty of alcohol around and i remember looking at it i, I wasn't tempted i probably if i really 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 wanted to could have tra- taken a sneak of a glass gone into a bathroom somewhere but i was too i was too blown away by the reality that my mom was laying dead in the other room. I saw many people I hadn't seen in quite a while. Didn't take much time to really feel so much sorrow for myself, even though I probably wanted to. I remember as people started to filter out and leave, we were outside in the front patio and my sister's having a glass of wine and I believe my stepdad was out there. Our next door neighbor came over to be part of the grieving. I remember these two people that showed up, these two guys that showed up in a van. I don't even know. I can't even tell you the company's name. These two guys that were hired to come over and take away the body. One of my words that I use around my engineer here at work is I got from my dad, which says it perfectly, is clod, C-L-O-D. These guys were two clods who were working for this company that came and took bodies away. And uh, as we were sitting outside, knowing that these guys were there for a reason, that that they were going to appear soon in front of us, taking the body away to the van, and then probably taking that to the funeral home or wherever it was going, these two clods with my mom's body covered by a blanket, at least they did that right, were coming out of the sliding glass door and one of them banged one of the the things, whatever you call it, that the body is on. They banged this thing against the sliding glass door and the guy goes, oops, sorry about it. Oop, watch out for that now. Hey, are you going to go watch the Padres play later on? This weekend, these guys were talking about they were they were talking about as casual as they were moving furniture. And yeah, I understand that was part of their job. I understand they didn't know anything about my mom or, or who we were, but they had no sympathy at all. They didn't show any kind of remorse. 
there they are carrying out this. What the hell do you call those things that bodies are on? <laughs> I swear I'm, I'm losing my mind sometimes. And when you Google that, what would you Google that under? Bodies on a what? You know, on a gurney. Is it a gurney? I don't know what it is. Continue. So they take the they they take my mom's body to the van and they leave. And I'm there still with my sister and my stepdad, and I go back, I go to sleep, and I wonder what my life is. I wonder, with my mom now gone, and I wasn't there to say goodbye because of my selfishness, and I was wondering, well, all that booze upstairs, how I was at this point in my life where everything is just upside down. My career is toast. I've burned so many bridges with people. I didn't get a chance to say goodbye to my mom. And there I am laying on this couch thinking about alcohol and thinking about wishing I could be back to my old place where I could go across the street, have a martini. How selfish is that? I woke up the next day and I was driven back to uh, Pathfinders and continued my stay. They asked me how all about it, and I told them there was booze all around, and they understood. I went from one house to the other. As time went by, I went over my one-year sobriety now. Because remember, I had been sober for a little bit before I got to Freedom Ranch. Because I had to wait to get a bed there. And then I got a bed there. And uh, that took, I don't know how many weeks I had to call to get to make sure there was a bed open. And when there finally was, and I went over there, I stayed there for 124 days. At Freedom Ranch. So I'm thinking by the time I got to, uh, by the time I got to uh, Pathfinders, I was at least six months sober when I was tested by walking out to that park to see if I would drink or not, listening to the, to the event at the stadium I told you about, which I did not. In, in our stay at, at, at uh, Pathfinders now, we had a porch in the first house. The porch overlooked a bar literally I would say 500 yards away from us, down the street to the left, there was a bar there. As a matter of fact, many times late at night, we would hear police cars pull people over. And um, this this crazy bar now, we had heard the stories. This bar, they weren't dumb. They knew exactly that, that they were very close to where we were, a recovery home. This bar... I don't even know if they still do it. I don't even know if they're still there. This bar offered anybody who brought in a token, like a one-year token, uh, a 28-hour token, two days token, whatever. A token is now what you get as a reward, so to speak. One-year tokens are awesome. Any year token, any kind of token is awesome. It's an achievement of sobriety. It's something to really save. And some people save all of them. Some people give them away to others when they achieve. So this bar offered up anybody a pitcher of beer for free if you laid down a token on the bar and gave it to them. It's not funny, but can you imagine that? you imagine somebody quivering, shaking, going, you know what, I really, it's really tempting. Sure it is. Now the owner of the bar, they're not stupid. Anyway, this is the kind of scene that we would see. The bar's way down there. And we would look at that and go, God, those were the days when we could go into a bar and drink like normal people. We call them normies. 
That's that's people who don't have a problem. That's somebody that probably still has a six pack in their kitchen, in their kitchen, in their in their refrigerator that they haven't even touched. You know those kind of people that open up a drink and don't even finish it. Uh, normie. That's a normie. So somewhere along the line now, I was at the second house. I got moved to the second house, Pathfinders. Remember now, you stay for three months in one house. You advance to the second house just around the corner. You stay there for three months. And then your final three months of your stay at Pathfinders, you go to the third house, which is right next door to the first house. Make sense? I'll never forget it was a Saturday. And the second house had this really cool George Foreman grill. It was awesome. And not far from the first house, second house, third house, because they're all so close together, it was a little market that we would take our money, however we got it, whether we got a uh, a check from uh, from being a disability check that we would get, I think it was twice a month, whatever. We would get our check, we would cash it there, we would buy some meat or whatever we wanted to, and we could cook our own dinner at the second house, at their grill, George Foreman Grill. So I remember walking across the street thinking about what I was going to do. And at this time, there was some girl I was pining over that all I thought about was her and how come I couldn't see her. And I, that's all I talked about to almost everybody all the time. If you know me, you know me. You know that I carry my heart on my sleeve. And that, of course, I was Mr. Dramatic. And my uh, manager calls me over just because I think he wanted to see how I was doing. <clears throat> I walked into his office. <clears throat> and it had to be like 45 minutes we're talking. And I'm telling telling him about this girl thing. And he's telling me advice on this girl. And he's saying, I should do this. And it's not looking good. And, of course, my history with the women is never looking good, but <laughs> but I am pretty much myself, and I'm telling him all this, and all of a sudden he goes, well, congratulations. Literally, this is after about 45 minutes. And I go, what are you talking about, congratulations? He says, well, it occurs to me that the obsession has been lifted. And I go, well, wait a minute. What do you mean by that? He goes, I think it occurs to me which is the same thing. I believe the obsession has been lifted on you. You see, you haven't talked about drinking or alcohol or even thinking about drinking for this whole 45 minutes. And I stopped. This is the, I remember this crystal clear, and I stopped, and I went, man, you're right. His name was Keith. You'll hear from him. I go, Keith, you're right. He goes, isn't that awesome? I said, you're right. Now are you going to give me advice on this girl? <laughs> But I walked away back to that second house feeling lifted. I had some confidence now. I, I felt to myself, maybe there is a reason why I'm here. Maybe there is a reason why. Now I know there's a reason why. It's because I am an alcoholic. I said to myself, I'm an alcoholic. And that really was for the first time when I thought that, it was okay to think that. This is who I am now. This is who I am. And I'm among other alcoholics fighting the same urge every single day. We come across people on Sundays for the men's meeting. We come across people who have lived in these houses 
and they come and they tell us what it's like for them to be sober still and how successful they are and what life that they're doing and how they remember clear as a bell like six years ago sitting in the same seats that we were sitting in while we're listening to them. In these men's meetings, that's what it was all about. Sundays, most of the alumni would come and they would want to hear from one of us. In fact, one of the leaders of the meetings would call one of us from Pathfinders. Now, the rule is, and I'm hoping it's still the same, if you're called on to speak, you better get up. And if you get up and speak, all you need to say is, hey, look, I'm grateful for being here. I just want to listen today. I truly am grateful for being here. And and that shows respect. And you've also gone through the motions of getting up and sharing. <clears throat> and we would have some of the guys, and of course, some of us couldn't stand. I mean, I'm not going to lie and say everybody loved each other. There were some of those people that talked on and on and on and on and on. And that when they shared, they shared the same thing on and on and on. And at meetings now, I have to admit, I never liked any of them. And I never paid attention to any of them. And people asked me as I got close to a year sober, do you have a sponsor yet? I didn't even think about it. I knew that that was going to happen. And they were asking me if I had done my steps yet. And I had not. You know why? A, I didn't want to. B, I didn't think I needed to. And C, I still thought and imagined and was almost pretty sure that I was being followed by a camera somewhere and I was being glorified. And one day, like maybe a blonde would show up with a boatload of money and cigars and say, hey, you're a hero, Bromo. You really are. (laughs) That took a long time. And I'll tell you how that changed. I'll tell you how that changed. There was a fellow in the house whose name was Rob. And he entered the house right around the same time I did. So he went from house one to two to three in that progression along with me. Rob was uh, a little younger than I was. Rob had a kid. And Rob was like looked like a business guy, man. He was all clean cut. But Rob was there for a reason because he's an alcoholic. And his life was out of control. So Rob would tell all of us, including myself, what he dreamt of doing and how he believed his life was still manageable if he got out of there and what he was going to do when he did it. He was one of the few that had a car, okay? Matter of fact, when Rob and I went from house one, when we went to house two, we went to house three. When we went to house three, we had a tradition where we took about four or five other guys in his car over to an alumni's house and would have dinner on Sundays. You know how great that was? First of all, we were all sober. We saw this guy who used to be a member of the house living free in this house with roommates who's now out on his own doing it sober. And he was telling us how glorious that was. And he was like someone we looked up to. Rob and I and the three or four guys that were chosen. And we would buy food outside of the Pathfinders, of course, because like any place you get tired of their own food. And by the way, Pathfinders had really good food. I think they had chicken on Tuesdays and we would have alumni people show up just to eat the chicken. So we would pick out something different and we would go over to this house on Sunday nights and we would cook it up and we'd come back before curfew and it was just like a getaway, you know? So Rob was uh, probably, I want to say, three weeks away from 
graduating from the third house, from going out on his own. And, uh, you know, we, we'd be out on the porch smoking cigars as he's smoking his cigarette. And he's talking about his son or he's talking about his, his plans for when he finally does get out, how he's going to get back to reality. And one weekend, he tells us his, his uh, brother's coming in. And we asked him, what are you going to do? He goes, I'm not sure. My brother, I don't see him that much. We might watch football. And one of us said, okay, well, where are you going to watch football? And he goes, I don't know, maybe his apartment, his house or his hotel. Okay. Either or, wherever, just make, you know, we didn't think much of it until, until we didn't see Rob on Monday morning. And we heard the reason why Rob didn't show up was he had drank his brother talked him into drinking just one beer, which led to another one, and then another one. And Rob got a DUI. Rob got kicked out of the house. We didn't even we didn't even see him. We didn't know that he had gone with his brother, of course, to a bar because we would have told him, well, obviously that's the wrong idea. But his brother somehow thought that, man, I'm going to take my brother to a bar, and man, he surely can have one beer with me. And you all know this. You've all had those people who have said to you, surely you can have just one beer, right? Well, as you know, you can't. Alcoholics cannot. So we found out he had a DUI. And he wasn't coming back. So we were wondering how to get a hold of him, but we didn't really pursue it. We were kind of shocked, just like everyone else. We were sad. Rob was a friend of ours. Remember I told you we had those meditation meetings where all of us, like 30 of us, would be around in one big, huge circle? And this was held in the meeting room right by where we all ate, the dining hall, the meeting room, whatever. We all circled in a big circle. And for like, an, like a half hour, 45 minutes, I'm not sure of the time frame, in the morning we would pass around inspirational books or we would go from one guy to another and we would say, hey, how you feeling? Not good. How you feeling? I'm all right. Some of the guys would get all pompous with the books and would love to quote stuff out of it. That was their time, you know? We're sharing each other. And I remember this particular morning, I was not in the mood, man. I was looking somewhere else and I was wondering, I clearly was wondering, man, how the hell am I in here? And where's this going? Because in a a month or so, when I get out of here, where am I going? What am I going to do with myself? And I hate this place. And I hate this whole sobriety scene. And I hate these meetings. So I'm looking down on the ground. And I remember Keith came in. And we looked up at him. We don't normally see him that early in the morning. He says, can I have your attention? And I'm still kind of looking down, and we kind of looked up. He goes, just want to let you know that he said, I just want to let you know that Rob was found in a hotel room. He hung himself in a closet. And and I, I, I thought to myself, there's no way. 
my immediate thought was the insanity that goes on in your head the second before you hang yourself. And he had a son. And remember what it says in the book, The Insanity of the Disease? And for the first time, all the, the fog and the glory of me thinking I'm something special and I'm this ex-radio guy and I should still be a radio star and everybody should love me and everybody should treat me with kit gloves and this and that. And where's, where's the offers to go back to work? And I was trying to get back on the radio. All of a sudden, things became so clear that, look, I'm an alcoholic and I'm there for a reason. If I don't get busy, and I mean if I don't get busy, find a sponsor who will lead me through the steps. If I don't do that and I get out of this house... Would I turn up like Rob? Would I turn up dead in a closet? In my next segment, I'll tell you, in my next episode, I'll tell you how I got busy. How I finally saw the light, if you can believe it or not, and I got on that track. Just want you to know that I appreciate everyone who listens in the comments. For anyone who thinks they may have a problem with a family member... With the disease of alcoholism, there is a way out. Without the ones like you who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done.